How you guys doing this morning? Good. Alive. There you go. All right. Oh, I need a little more coffee here. Here we go. Ah. Well, we have been going through the book of Jonah, and we're still in the book of Jonah. Um, and uh, and going through it, we've just got done talking about uh, last week about kind of Jonah's repentance, his time in the belly of the fish, and uh, and really kind of uh, what his repentance looks like. And chapters two and chapter three are both kind of about repentance. And and I don't know, has anybody read the rest of the story of Jonah? Anybody spent some time in it? I mean, it's it's an easy read. It's you've got four chapters. It's one of the easiest reading books in the in the whole Bible, and it's and it's actually it's actually a really well written story. Um, it's not it's not a story that takes a whole lot of scholarship to figure out. There's not a lot of big words in it. You know, it's it's. Uh, it doesn't. You don't have to be super familiar with Christianity or Judaism or anything to just kind of pick up on the story and find it somewhat interesting. Um, even if you're not the kind of person that says, "Yeah, I believe all that's true," uh, or "or I believe somebody could actually be swallowed by a fish," or, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, like we talked about at the beginning, I do believe that it is, a, in fact, a historical narrative, that it's the best way to read the book. I think it's written by the, book of, or by the author, I think, is, is Jonah himself. Uh, I think there's kind of telltale things about the story that, that really indicate that he was the author. And one of them was last week's read in chapter 2, where we're reading through what he was going through inside the belly of the fish. And, well, nobody else can really tell that story quite as intimately. Huh? I've got a stunk in there. Say it again? I've got a stunk in there. Yes, it, you probably stunk inside the belly of the fish. Yes. Uh, fish belly is not known for being particularly pleasant to, uh, to smell. Um, and, uh, and I imagine fish think the same thing about us when they're, Watching their buddies get eaten. I'll bet it stinks in there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go there. Yeah, yeah. But it's a story of Jonah. The book of Jonah is a story about God's sovereignty. It's, about, it's a story about repentance. Uh, it's a story about loving your enemies and, um, and giving up those things, those idols that we, that we carry. And remember last week we talked about idolatry. And, and a, a working definition of idolatry uh, that, you know, functions for, the, for our story anyways is just any time somebody takes a good thing and makes it an ultimate thing, right? We take, we take something that's good and we make it an ultimate thing in our lives. Um, and, and so we're thinking about, you know, what kinds of different ways we might do something. I mean, can anybody think of a good thing? that we might tend to turn into an ultimate thing in our life? Any suggestions? When you go to heaven, our children. Football. Our children. Football. I don't know that I would say going to heaven be the would be uh, something that people make into an idol, not, but not, I suppose it's idol, possible. It's important. It's important. Right, but what we're not talking about is just things that are important. We're talking about things that are that are 
although they're important, we make them an absolute ultimate thing. So things like football, like where everything matters, the only thing that matters is, is, is that football could be one of them, although I'd consider it probably a lesser idol. Uh, I have seen people go to blows over football and, you know, and, and really, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but children, I, I, I like the suggestion of children. Children, is, is it wrong to have children? No, no. In, in fact, is it wrong to want your children to love you? No, of course not. Is it, is it, want to, is it wrong to want a legacy uh, I, you know, through your children to have, them, to, to have them carry on a good legacy of you and to think well of you? No. But to want that above all things, to want that at any cost, to want it so bad that you're willing to beat them into submission and things like that, suddenly, suddenly it becomes adultery. Yeah, come on. Whoa, man, sobriety and recovery. Okay, here's two very, very good things. Very, nothing wrong with sobriety and recovery. But man, if we make them into an ultimate thing, if we worship and idolize our sobriety over all other things or our recovery over all, if, if it becomes the thing that defines us, whoo-wee. And yeah, I mean, sobriety and recovery uh, can easily become our religion rather than, rather than just a good thing that is a result of our, of our serving God and, and doing well in our lives. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sobriety and recovery could be them. Any others? Relationships. Relationships. Relationships is definitely. Man, I mean, you know, you know how many guys, and we talked about, you know, we've, had, we've seen several, I mean, it's kind of an ongoing thing here, and I see it in both houses, where men and women come in totally broken, totally distraught. Why? Because they're, they're, they're at the tail end or at the midway through a, they, they are through a divorce, through a, a bad breakup of some kind, and they've sacrificed every good thing on the altar of that relationship, right? And it's become... It's become everything. I've watched, I've watched men and women say, I will die without you. Life's not worth meaning. It, not, has any, it doesn't have any meaning. And of course, all of our songs from the 80s taught us that, right? All of our, all of our songs from the, uh, you know, all of our air supply and, and journey and, and you know, all, all, I mean, all good music and stuff in its own way, uh, but uh, taught us to idolize you know, and, and, and it's not just the 80s music that's, that's guilty of that. That's just the stuff that I was, you know, fed on the radio, uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s music. And it was all full of stuff that just taught me how to be an idolater, right? Harry Nelson. Yeah. yeah. Sure, right? The 60s were pretty wild. Right, Meatloaf. Brian loves Yeah. Yeah. All of it. That's crazy. Yeah, it's craziness, huh? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, you know, you watch all kinds of it. I, I see guys come in here. I see guys come in here uh, demanding respect, right? I mean, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, you know, whatever. You can tell I, singing's not my gift. Uh, but, uh, you know, they come in and they're going, man, you know what? That guy... Why, you know, they'll come into John's office or my office and go, you got to do something about that guy. Why? 
Well, because, you know, you should have heard the way he talked to me. What? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he just was disrespectful. Okay, so? Well, I mean, you know, I just came out of prison, you know, or I just came out, you know, I just came out and, and you don't talk to me that way, man. I, I'm, I'm a somebody. And you go, uh, all right, so what are you going to do? You're going to kill him for it? You know? And they'll look at you like, oh, don't think I won't. Okay, because they've taken, they've taken respect and made it into an ultimate thing, you know. <laughs> Got to have it at all costs. In fact, even, even within the church, we see, we see kind of these little manipulation tools that we do with each other sometimes. And we do these marriage classes called love and respect. And what it is is I'll love my wife enough to, so long as she respects me. And she says, I'll respect him enough as so long as he gives me my love and, and everything. And, and again, love and respect become the idol, the means to the end, instead of... I'm just going to give because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to, I'm going to give of myself and sacrifice myself because God has asked me to. And that's it. Demanding. Right? What's that? The wrong thing is demanding. You can't demand something. Right, right, right. But when, when they're an idol, then we demand, we demand an outcome because that's really what sacrificing to an idol is all about, right? It's sacrificing to, to what I want. Yeah. I would say money is the biggest idol. Boy, oh boy, money is a huge one. Yeah, yeah. Money, um, but sometimes money is a means to an end of that, but you're right, yeah, it, it, if it's not the biggest idol, it's certainly, it's certainly a, uh, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil in a sense, you know, I mean, it, it really puts us on that track, yeah. Family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, we kind of started there, but yeah, family. Absolutely, man. Family. And, and again, is money bad? Is family bad? No. Well, these are good things, right? Right? John? I've seen a lot of people go into social media. Just oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I've sat down. I sat down in my home with my daughter when she was younger and her three friends. All three of them looking at their phone, no one saying a word. All of a sudden, all of them start busting up laughing at once. You know, why? They're communicating back and forth. They're texting each other and they're going back and forth through social media and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just changed the dynamic of, of everything, hasn't it? I mean, and, and this idea that I have to know everything that's going on in the world right now. You know, it's social media... It, it, it gets us in a number of ways, one of which is the same way that it used to get our fathers, maybe, uh, and certainly ourselves at times as well, which is just that we really believe that we have to be on top of the news, right? We have to know what's happening in the world all the time, and, and, and why? Because we just don't want to be, we don't want somebody else to know something we don't know. We don't want to be figured as being ignorant in a conversation and, and all those things. You see how easy it is to slip into idolatry, man? How easy it is to just, you know, it's all around us. It's all around us, and it's totally socially acceptable. I mean, in fact, all of these things, again, can be good things. It's not wrong to know stuff. It's not wrong to be 
me in the know. It's not wrong to be social. It's not wrong to want good family. It's not want, wrong to have money. It's not wrong to want to be loved and to, and to love somebody. It's not wrong for any of those things, right? But when we make them an ultimate thing, when, when that's the thing that Augustine would have said, St. Augustine would have said that the problem with man is that we have a, a problem of disordered loves. That, that we just don't put things in the right order. And so we've, we take things that, that lesser loves and we, re, and we elevate them to ultimate loves. And, and we take this thing that should be God, you know, God Almighty himself, and we lower him to some, some lesser, lesser place of significance. And, and in the end, what it does is it drives us to madness because idolatry will always drive us to madness. It always drives us to this place of... of confusion, of hurt, of, of, you know, can't figure out what in the world's going on. And, and what God asks of us is to change our ways. He asks us to repent. Open in the book of Matthew real quick, um, before we jump into Jonah. In the book of Matthew, because one of the things that, one of the things that Jonah is struggling with in this journey, and we've talked about it a little bit, and he'll, he'll talk about it some uh, towards the end of the book in chapter four, but um, is that he's going, God has asked him to go to the Ninevites. The Ninevites are the arch enemy of the northern ten tribes of Israel, the, the, the tribes to whom God has called Jonah to be a prophet. And, and, uh, and so, so Jonah has been, you know, has, has loved God's people, has been called to minister to God's people, and now God's calling him to go and speak to his enemies. And Jonah knows something about God, and Jonah knows a lot about his enemies, and he is not happy about this calling, and that's why he ran. That's why he goes and turns and goes the other direction. Jesus says this, this is um, probably one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible, uh, starts with the Beatitudes and then, and then Jesus just continues down this path of you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. We're going to pick up in verse 43 and read through verse 48. It says, hold on, I'm feeling like an old guy this morning. There we go. You've heard that it was said, verse 43, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your Father, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And this idea that, that huh, we want justice. We want justice. We have enemies in this world who have done us wrong and done us harm. And and we'd say, 
Well, stay away from those guys. Distance yourself from those guys. You know, they'll get their comeuppance, you know, down, you know, and, 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 and uh, you just worry, let God worry about them and, and you worry about you and, and everything. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to actually love them. Love these people, your enemies. Love the unlovely. Right. Right. Love the unlovely. You know, it's and, and the unlovely aren't just the ugly people in the world. The unlovely are the people to whom to whom we have a, a right to justice. We're offended by. And certainly Jonah had a right to be offended by the Ninevites, the uh, the, the capital of the Assyrian kingdom it says it says and we're going to read that Nineveh was a great city it was a great city in fact God uses the term great city more than once in in thinking of Nineveh um, we're going to read also that it that by great he doesn't just mean that it's a city of great value but it's a city of great size that it's something that's large enough um, that it takes three days to walk across. Wow, that's big. Can you imagine? I mean, that's L.A. Yeah. You know? Can you imagine that God might think of L.A. as a great city? No. A great city. A, a city of, of not just great size, but of great value. A city filled with our enemies. A lot of us move to Oregon and move to southern, southern Oregon, move out to the country to get away from that great city, you know, um, and and very few of us think of it in terms of that great city, you know. Maybe maybe you who have family there, maybe some of you who've grown up there still think back on it with fond memories, can remember back to the time when it maybe wasn't quite so great in size or or it was a little bit more like home, but. Uh, here we have this great city, and God calls Jonah to the great city. God, God calls, calls them to a place of repentance. Jesus tells us to love our enemies because this is a reflection of His heart. Because this is exactly what He's done. He loves His enemies. He, he loves you, He loves me, and He loves the people of L.A. <laughs> and the people of Nineveh more than he hates their sins. And he hates their sins. He, he desperately hates their sins. They are his enemy. And so are we. And, and yet, he turns their hearts, he asks us, people who belong to him, and says, I want you to love your enemies. Boy, he's going straight to maybe the heart of one of Jonah's idols. I got to tell you, honestly, sometimes he's going straight to the heart of mine. Okay? When I struggle, isn't it oftentimes that I struggle with an area of justice? I want justice. I want God to give them what they've earned, what they deserve. That wrath needs to come. That, that there are some people for whom hell is appropriate. 
But is it wrong for us to think that way? We shouldn't think that way either. I don't know, man. You know, Jesus mentions hell three times in this very chapter. (laughs) Tells you that there's that there's a place that that there is a place for hell, and it's and it's bad. That it's that that hell is a real place, and that there are people that are going there. And in fact, I think what we're going to see in the book of Jonah is sometimes I think we we kind of we kind of minimize or scoff at the idea of somebody coming to faith as simply fire insurance. You know, uh, I'm just I'm basically just trying to I'm I'm coming to faith in Christ because I just want my get out of hell free card. Well, let me tell you, hell is a place that's bad enough. According to Jesus himself in this very chapter, that it should be something that we want to avoid at all costs. And in fact, if, you, if we go back now to the book of Jonah, you're going to see that the preaching that, uh, that comes down from Jonah is really kind of a, it's a hellfire kind of a preaching. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, don't you know that Jesus did everything for you on the cross and he loves you so much and if you just please give him a chance, he's standing there with his arms open wide and his hat in his hand, what more could he do for you? It's not one of those kind of sermons. Let's read it and find out. Flip over to the book of Jonah and we'll begin in chapter 3. What page is that? Well, for me it's 1567. There you go. 644 for those of you in the paper NIV. Hey, by the way, if you're struggling with falling asleep right now, if you're struggling with staying awake right now, remember what the option is for that. If you're struggling with staying awake, here's what you can do for me. Just stand up at the back of the room. Nobody thinks less of you for it. Please, please just go ahead and, and stand up. Go hang out in the back until you feel like you're not sleeping anymore. Then come back and sit in your seat if you feel like you want to sit down. Okay? It's all right. I don't blame you. I know it's early, and it's kind of warm in here, too, which uh, that just makes me more cozy. And, uh, and, and I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee and talking. You guys don't have that right now, so I get it. You know, Don't sweat it. It's just... Okay. Jonah chapter 3. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, the message that I tell you. And so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go to that city, going on a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself in sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let, not, let them not feed on drink. Excuse me. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out 
mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way and let the violence and, and from the violence of his hand. Who knows? God may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God, you know, God all things, knew that he was going to destroy that city ahead of time. Re remember what we talked about last week about a comment or a question? Yeah. You can raise your hand and, and raise your hand for questions. Comment safe till afterwards. Okay? Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. So, so here's the thing. Up until this point in chapter 3, Jonah is the only one in the entire story rebelling against the hand of the Lord. You realize that? Yes. The wind obeys the Lord. The waves obey the Lord. The fish obeys the Lord. Everybody obeys the Lord. But Jonah doesn't obey the Lord. And Jonah is the believer in the story. Okay? Jonah's the one who knows. Who knows the Lord, and he's rebelling against the Lord. A lot of times I hear guys that I go, dude, you, you put on your intake information here that you're a Christian and, and everything, but yeah, you just came from jail. You just came from jail for doing a really bad thing. And they go, oh yeah, I know. Yeah, no, but look, I've been a Christian all my life. And I'm going, huh? Maybe this thing about being a Christian doesn't mean what you think it means. But maybe you just got barfed out of the belly of a fish <laughs> by your parole officer saying you need to stay at, stay at the gospel rescue mission. And maybe, maybe this is about repentance. Maybe what's going on in your life is that you need to repent from the direction you were going. And it's funny because I don't, I don't think I've had to talk too many times to a guy who's been doing the wrong thing. I don't, I don't think that at least what I've had to tell them, the best stuff that I've had to tell them and the best things that they've heard haven't been really information, right? You don't, you don't go up to a guy who, who struggles with smoking and, and go, dude, don't you know that that's bad for you? They're going to go, I've, n I've never had one once go, what? It's bad for me? All this time I thought it was nutritious. <laughs> what? I thought it was good for me this whole time. The problem wasn't an informational thing. The problem was like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> A lot of times we want to just throw lots of information at them, right? We want to throw, we want to just, we, we want to go, don't you know that doing drugs is bad? Well, duh. You know, but it makes me money and that's my idol or it makes me, you know, it's it's part of the thing my girl was using. And so I started using because, well, I, I, I idolized that girl, you know, you see, you see. And, and and yet that same person may have at least a fundamental working knowledge of the God of the Bible. And you're going, how did this happen? Well, take a look at Jonah, you know. So, <clears throat> Jonah being the only one that 
up until chapter 3, was disobeying the Lord. And even through chapter 3, because even the Ninevites obey the Lord. An entire nation of people filled with, that are idolatrous. Why does a nation, why, why does a nation become filled with violence? Why do they become, why do they become a, a, a nation that, that goes and just swallows up other nations? About peace or about God? Well, they don't know anything about peace and they don't know anything about God. That's, a, that's one answer. I mean, and that's, and that's a truth, but is it possible that they've just taken good things and turned them into ultimate things? I mean, what about when a nation wants safety at all costs? I want safety above all things. Above, above all other things we, we do, we want safety. And so what they do is they become very controlling on everything that's said and done within, within the walls of their na nation, the boundaries and borders of their nation. We want it so bad that we want it above all other things. We can turn safety into an idol, can't we? Well, what if we want, what if we want, you know, safety, part of safety, we, we wrap up in power, right? Okay, the guy who's got the biggest stick might be the safest guy in the room in a sense because no one's going to go up and challenge him, right? So we want, do you think it's possible that America struggles with this very same idol? You know, do you, or and not just America. I mean, this is a national kind of a struggle. All nations struggle with these things. Is it wrong to want safety? Of course not. It's not wrong to want safety. And, and to do that, does it mean sometimes that power is the necessary thing? Sure, sometimes power is a, is a necessary thing. But when we want power above all things, when we want strength above all things, when it becomes the thing that is more meaningful to us than, than the God who gives us protection and safety. And so here's Nineveh idolized these things, idolized, idolized safety, security, power, reputation, prestige, respect, kind of the things that we all just listed out, right? Man, maybe wealth, you know? Whew, what does it lead to? Well, for Nineveh, it led to violence. It led to just a, an absolute uncontrolled violence. This was the way I was going to secure my safety. Anybody ever known men like that? Anybody ever been men like that? You know, I mean, I'm telling you, it's, a, it's an easy thing, guys. It's an easy thing to slip into that kind of sin. And it's, it's, it's much easier to look at and see the wrongs of from the distance, you know, and point out their flaws. Look, man, you got to bring it home. <laughs> this stuff is meant to, to, to be brought home and to get us to consider our ways, right? But here's the thing. You notice in verse 4 and 5, he's going, here's the preaching. Jonah begins to go into the great city going a day's journey. He walks into the city a day. He goes right into the heart of the city, basically. If it's, if it's three days to get from one end to the other, he walks in right into the middle of it, about a day into it, and says, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. <coughs> the end. <laughs> it's, uh, 
It's not the, uh, it's not the, the, the plea. Don't you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life? You know, he's got a wonderful plan for your life. Most of our preaching today kind of sounds that way. You know, it's this, you know, we need to tell them about the love of God. And I look, I agree with all those things. We do need to tell people about the love of God. But the fact is, is look, man, if you reject his love, huh, if you reject his love according to Jesus, if you reject, if you reject the things that are following him according to Jesus, not according to me, if you reject him, hell is what awaits. Hell. Eternal torment. The word he uses there in, in Matthew chapter 5 is Gehenna. It's the, spot, it's the spot outside the city in the valley there where they burn trash and where all the, where all the refuse is thrown. He'll describe it in other places where the, the worm doesn't stop. Why? Because it's just always eating the rot. It's always there. Hell's a real place. And at least according to Jesus, he thought it was. He thought it was, a, it was a real enough place that he decided to preach about it in his most famous sermon. And he spoke about it in that most famous sermon more than he spoke about heaven. That's serious stuff, man. And that's a good reason to repent. I got to tell you, when I was I'm nine years old, I'm, I wasn't even nine years old. Nine years old was when I decided that I'd, I'd been scared enough and needed to hedge my bets here. I was like, I'd heard enough preaching. You know, this is a good thing about like the uh, Good News Club. The Good News Club understands this one thing, that good news ain't good news unless you've heard the bad news. Yeah. And, and the bad news is, is that there is this place called hell. And, and frankly... It scared me. It scared me. And I remember even being before that, man. I, I, don't know, I don't know where the idea came into my head that when I said bad words, when I thought bad things, when I lied, that, that I was sinning against God. And I wasn't just sinning against some random, like, you know, higher power in the universe. I knew at that age that the person I had to do business with was Jesus. And I remember, I remember being at a friend's house. I'm living in, we lived in the Bay Area at the time, and I, and, I, and I remember being at a friend's house, and I remember just telling lies after lies, and, and, you know, and, and all kinds of bad language coming out of the mouth of a seven-year-old. Of course, this is the kind of house I was raised in in many ways, too, as a child. But... Um, but that's no excuse, man. And I, and I never, I didn't sit there and go, well, I learned it from my dad. I didn't sit there, wasn't telling anybody that. What I knew was that I knew I'd done wrong. And it was time for me to ride my bike home. And man, you can do a lot of thinking on a bike ride home. And, and I, you know, some of my best prayer time is still driving in the car home or driving in my car here. And, and I remember then, seven years old, Doing this, riding my bike, going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. What was I doing? Well, I was telling myself this, that if I said Jesus more times than I told lies and more times than I said bad things, that I would, it would make up for things. It would balance the scales, right? It would do it, would do it right. It was, it was my way of repenting as a seven-year-old. And as dumb as that is, 
I, I was sitting there going, I know that, that I'd done something wrong and I knew the person that I had to answer to was Jesus Christ. Well, two years later, we had moved, we had, we'd moved to Oregon and I'm sitting there listening to some lady talk about, I don't even remember what she was talking about, but the issue of hell came up and it reminded me and I was like, you know what? I know one thing, I don't want to go there. <laughs> Wherever that is, I want to go there. And for all I know, she didn't even say much about hell, but it certainly brought it up. And, and who would have thought that here I am 50 years later, God honored the prayer of a frightened nine-year-old saying, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. Please help me. Turn my life around. Change, change me and, and forgive me of my sins. You know, these are, the, these are things. And I don't know. Was that the moment that I was saved? According to the book of Ephesians, it was before the foundations of the earth. God called us in him before, you know, it was, it was part of his plan long ago. Was there, have there been lots of moments of repentance in my life? My whole life has been a life of repentance. Because it's a whole life of messing up too, right? And sometimes what we know is that God just tells us it's time to turn around. You're going the wrong direction. Amen. And it's time to turn around. And what the Ninevites got is they got it. And Jonah, just before this, just, just I don't know how long it took him to get from the coast of Joppa to Nineveh. Nineveh, by the way, if you're familiar with, if you're familiar with Iraq, any Iraq veterans in here? Okay, well, not so. You can ask John about, ask him, where was Mosul? Okay, Mosul's in northern Iraq. It's the capital city. It is built on top of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Okay, and, and so if you want to know where in the world it is. So we're talking from the coast of Israel to, he had to travel all the way to Mosul. Okay, so however long that took by foot or by donkey or whatever he went on, you know, by camel, however he got there, all the way up to Nineveh, he gets there, he preaches, he preaches, finally obeys the Lord and preaches what, what the Lord's telling him to. And the Lord turns the entire city, so much so that they're just, they're humbling themselves out all the way down to their cattle, you know, take Take the cattle and cover them in sackcloth. Nobody will eat. We will, we will totally humble ourselves. We will totally repent. Nobody will eat. Nobody will drink. Let us make ourselves sorry. Let us remind ourselves of the need to be sorry. Is there a question or comment? Uh, question. Yeah. I can't hang on to things very well, so my head It's all right. It's all right. Sorry, Go ahead. It's okay. So you don't have a question then? No, I forgot what it was. Okay, okay. All right. That's all right. That's all right. Mine doesn't always either. It's, and it's early still. So, so they humble themselves. They humble themselves. They take off all of their great clothes. They take, they're, they're, not, they're not trying to show their status. So from the richest to the poorest, from the king to, to the commoner, Everybody's going to wear the same thing. We're going to cover ourselves in ashes. We're going to remind ourselves that we came from dust. And we're, going to, and we're just going to cover ourselves in dust. We're going to remind ourselves that we're all the same. 
and we're all in this together. We have all sinned and we all go down and we all do this thing. We all repent. Wow. Powerful. Powerful stuff, man. From this. You're going to be destroyed. It's a turn or burn message. Yeah, it's a turn or burn message. And, 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 and guess what? It has the effect, man. They turn around. They turn around. Don't criticize the guy that's out there preaching on the street corner, yelling, yelling, you know, hell, hell awaits. I mean, maybe it's not the message you need to hear, but you may not be Nineveh, you know, but somebody needs to hear it. And people have been saved by very, very same things. And here an entire city, the capital city of a nation, is turned away. And look at that. Verse 10, God relents. God changes his mind. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them. He did not do it. You know, this is the thing that's hard for us to get our head around. God changes his mind sometimes. And when he does so, he does so for the sake of grace and mercy. Aren't you glad for that? Man, I'll tell you what, there are nations that deserve God's wrath. And my fear is that ours is one of them sometimes. You know? And I am so glad that that same God on whom, whose ideals this country was built, that same God relents in wrath and mercy, or offers mercy, relents in wrath and judgment and, and offers grace and mercy to us. And I'm grateful for that for our nation because I'm grateful for that in me. Because I can tell you this, that even if the nation doesn't deserve wrath, sometimes I deserve wrath. You ever say stuff that you just go, whew, where'd that come from? The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's in our hearts, man. We've just, we've just got corruption going all the way down. Our hearts are idle factories, guys. Our hearts are... are total factories where we set up idols. And sometimes it's just the idol of ourself and our self-image, the idol of our own comfort, the idol of, 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 you know, all these things that, again, are not bad things in and of themselves, but when we make them an ultimate thing, they become a bad thing. Amen? Right? So, so again, if, if, if making a good thing into an ultimate thing is the essence of idolatry, and I would say that It's a pretty good working definition. It may not be all that can be said about idolatry, but it's a pretty good working definition. And if all, if all idolatry leads to hell and judgment, then, and, there, and, and idolatry is this good thing, is taking good things and making them ultimate things. And look, man, I mean, does any of the things that we've talked about strike home? Is any of the things where you sit there and you go, man, I know I, know I value a relationship. I know I, I really want sexual relations. I know that I really would like money. I know that I would really like justice. I know that I would really like peace. I know that I would really like, I would really like respect. Man, 
Those are all things that are meant to be likable and enjoyed. They were all created for good. And yet, when we take them and we push them, we want them so bad that we're willing to kill someone for them. When we're willing to, to take it away from somebody else in order for us to get it, whatever that is, then man, oh man. And here, you've got Nineveh, that great city. What they wanted was greatness. What Nineveh wanted was greatness. And, and there's nothing wrong with greatness until you want greatness at the cost of all things. Whatever greatness is. And they'd achieved it. They wanted it, they wanted it so bad that they slaughtered everybody around them. And they take everything else, you know, they were willing to take everything else away from everybody else. Sacrifice everybody else's greatness at the altar of their own. And they needed to repent and they knew it. And it, and it, it, it was violence was the means of getting it. That's how they got this. So, you know, here's the thing. These guys are a pagan nation. They're not known for this. Assyria was not like the U.S. in this. And it was certainly not like, like Israel. An, an, a nation founded on and built around God's word. A nation founded on and built around God's principles, around the goodness and the glory of God. Nineveh was not that. Yet God was going to eventually use Nineveh to judge Jerusalem, Israel, the, 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 well, Jerusalem and Israel, the northern ten tribes of Israel, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be, would be judged by the Babylonians, a different pagan nation. But how did they know that God was speaking to them? How did, how did they know that, that it was the God of Israel that was speaking to them? And why did they listen? I would, I would offer that they knew the same way that Jonah knew and the same, one of the same ways that you and I can know. Um, because God calls us to repent of our idols. And what that means is that means for us to turn around and go the opposite direction. God, God was talking to Jonah, told him, you need to turn around and go the opposite direction. I'm calling you to something that you don't want to do. You see, I think that, I think that it's pretty common for, for even Christians to go, well, well, my God's a God of love. Well, my God's a God who would never ask me to do things like that. We say these really silly things. As if, as if you get to just, when you become a Christian, you get to pick a Santa Claus God that only gives you good things or something, that only, that only blesses you in, in, in all these really nice things. And I think that a lot of people go, well, I just believe in a God of love. That's all. I believe in a God of love. Why, well, why? Well, because I, I idolize love. And that's why I believe in a God of love. <laughs> One way you can tell God is God is if God can tell you no. Okay? If God can tell you no, if God can contradict something you think, if God, if the Bible doesn't cause you 
It doesn't challenge you on things. It doesn't make you go, I'm not sure about that. You're probably not understanding it right, okay? You're probably not hearing it right. The Bible, if, if you think, oh, you know, I agree with everything in the Bible. I'm just telling you, you probably haven't read it. And, and if you have, you are really not living in reality with yourself. <laughs> You're not being honest about, about yourself. God should be able to tell you no to things. And that is certainly what God was doing to Nineveh. And I'm convinced that that's one of the ways they knew that it was God speaking and they better listen. Because he was telling them, stop, do something different than what you're doing, because what you're doing is bringing my judgments. What you're doing is bringing my judgments. So, one of the telltale ways that the, it's the Lord telling you to repent, the, that the Lord is talking to you about, about changing, is that in fact, He's calling you to repentance. And one of, the, one of the meanings of the word repent is to turn around and go the opposite direction of what you started with. Turn around and go the other direction. So, in this part... <clears throat> Uh, in, in, in this is the part of the meaning of the word repentance. And, and in this, Nineveh had to repent and they did. They, they followed it and they did. And the thing is, is that Jonah also had to repent. And he did as well, at least for a time. In fact, that was true for both of these, for both Nineveh and for, for Jonah. Their repentance only lasted for a time. And we'll talk next week about chapter 4 as we start seeing that Jonah's repentance, he was, it, was, it was limited in, it, in its repentance. He, he went the other direction, but his heart really wasn't turned yet. And, uh, and we'll see that Nineveh, probably for a generation at least, stays repentant. But eventually they go back to their violent ways and their <laughs> wickedness. And... Uh, and <coughs> God will use them and their wickedness to judge the nation of Israel. So here's the thing, man. If God is maybe speaking to you about repentance, here's, I know for me, as I'm going through all this, God speaks to me about this stuff as well. So I'm sitting there thinking about, Lord, are there things that I need to repent of? Well, one of the things that they did that you can do is humble yourself and confess. One of the things that, that they did was a very public repentance, okay? They, they all covered themselves in sackcloth and ashes. And, and what I'm not suggesting is that we all cover ourselves in sackcloth and ashes. But what I'm saying is, is that repentance is, is almost never like a private thing. It's almost never just like a, oh, it's just between me and God where, you know, he knows my sins, but nobody else has to know. He knows what I'm struggling with, but nobody else has to know. This, he's very, they are very public about what's happening and, and confession is part of repentance. It's saying we need to turn from our ways. Look at what they say. They say, they say, uh, let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. They knew exactly what the Lord was getting at. We need to turn from our evil and the violence that's in our hands. Why are we being judged? Why is, this why is Jonah coming here? Why is this guy that smells like 
you know, week old fish barf coming here and, and coming after us? Why is he coming down and, and, and preaching this hard message? Well, they knew. They knew. They needed to let go of their idol. They need to turn and walk the other direction. Um, and it's really simple. It's repentance is seldom private. It, it comes with confession. But then here it is. It's just asking God for forgiveness. And that's the other thing. They're just going, hey, look, we're sorry. We turn away. We ask for forgiveness. We don't continue in it. And what do they do? Turn around and walk the other way. Stop. Stop doing the thing that you were doing. If you're a guy that, that, that is, that's maybe here on your second, third, fourth, fifth time through the gospel rescue mission, let's think about this. Repentance could be very well for you. Turning away from the thing that brought me here. Why do I keep finding myself in the same spot? Repentance, man. Stop. Listen to those counselors who are saying, well, did you think this was a really good idea to be smoking a bunch of weed? Because the minute that you start smoking a bunch of weed, you start thinking like a fool and you start doing things like a fool, which is why God says such a thing about, you know, why, why he so tells us not to be drunk and, and goes against drunkenness. And drunkenness is really getting to the issue of intoxication. It's not about drinking alcohol. It's stop being intoxicated. And that's exactly what happens when you smoke a bunch of weed. And we sit there and tell ourselves this story that's, oh, it's an herb. It's all good things. And, you know, stop lying to yourself. Turn away. Turn away from it. Stop lying to yourself. It's bad and it's going, it's leading to your destruction. It's leading to your destruction. It's leading you here. Yes. I just wanted to say, my... Is it a comment or a question? Uh, it's a comment. Comment, save it for after. I'm almost done. Okay, and then, and then we'll come back to it. Um, so, so, in that, you know, let's turn away from the things that led us here. Okay, you keep hanging around people. Maybe I can handle my methamphetamine. Maybe I can handle my alcohol. Maybe I can. Maybe it's okay for me to, to continue chasing this girl that just continually turns me into the police. You know, come on, let her go, man. Let her go. Repent. Turn away. Go the other direction. Okay. Stop continuing to walk in the direction. God's telling you, repent. This is a good time. Confess your sin. Turn around. Ask for forgiveness. It's that easy. Turn away from it. It's really that easy, guys. In, in, in this And look, this is an entire nation. You think there might have been some in the nation that didn't really repent? In a, in, a, in, a, in a city the size of L.A.? Yeah, okay. But God doesn't sit down and start parsing out numbers and goes, well, I'm just going to judge these guys, but not these guys. Your repentance, just like Jonah's, affects other people. Okay? Jonah, when he finally figured it out, and says, what you need to do is throw me overboard. What you need to do is throw me off the, is throw me off the ship. Why? Because his, his rebellion 
was affecting other people. The whole, all the sailors were about ready to die. All of Nineveh was about ready to be destroyed. All this stuff. He gets thrown off. Sea comes. Sailors, sailors come to faith. How about that? Sailors come to faith. Sea gets calm. Things change. His repentance, even the start of repentance, God uses that. God uses that to change people's lives. Repentance is a good thing. You want to see those that are on the ship with you changed? Repent. You change. Turn course. Turn direction. You, you impact other people, guys. And, uh, and we impact one another. We want to see the numbers raised up in here from one out of five to one out of three to one out of two to one out of one, maybe, of people who enter this place leave with a job and a home. Well, here's the thing. Leave well with a job and a home. Be that guy. Repent. Turn around. Do the right thing. Encourage the guys next to you. Hey, man, you know what? Yeah, I know I used to talk just like you, but that was really stupid. And I stopped. And I'm going to stop. And I'm gonna, I am determined to leave here well. Be one of those guys. Be one of those guys. And that guy who was talking stupid might just decide, yeah, you know what? He's right. I'm going to do it too. <laughs> they're going to go, they're going to say, oh, man, if he can do it, well, I can do it. All right? Let's pray. So, Lord, I don't know where each of these guys are struggling and maybe need to repent. You certainly know the areas that you're talking to me on, and so do I. And I pray, Lord, that you would, um, that you would forgive me of my sins and that you'd help me to repent, that you would turn my heart and my mind in the opposite direction. Father, I'm, I'm fearful of being swallowed by a fish, but even more so, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of hell. I don't want to go there. I want to live with you forever. Amen. And I know that the only way that I'm going to do that is if I follow you, is if you, is if you give me a heart that even has the tenacity to follow you. Because I know I'm prone to wander. But you are prone to save. So I ask that you'd save me. And I ask for each guy here that you would save them. Lord, that, that every guy here would be added to your family today. That every guy here would come to know you in a way, in a saving way, not in a way of wrath. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to work through your word as we spend time today recalling the, the word spoken here out of the book of Jonah and out of the gospel of Matthew, Lord. As we think about these things, as we read them and ponder them, Lord, that your spirit would just continue to work on that. Chisel it away in our lives. Do, do the work that only you can do, Lord. Save us. Help us to repent and save us. Father, thank you for the gospel rescue mission. I pray that you would bless it. I pray that you would, that you would be glorified and honored in Grant's past because of this place and because of the changed lives that walk out of this place, Lord. And so we lift this place to you. We ask for your favor on it. 
And we ask for your favor on the lives of each guy here. We lift them all up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day.